promise of getting to pastor uh, a sister church and uh, things didn't work out ideally. Um, we pastored for two years and then we did pastoral care at uh, another church and then uh, after getting a marketplace job decided to accept the forever coming invitation uh, from the Hunkas to come to Third Street uh, Church and rest is what we found. Uh, love is what we found. Support and challenge is what we found. Friends with whom to sit around a fire is what we found. A, a friend to call when things got really heavy. And then a place to pray. A place um, to, uh, with people to pray with. A place to worship in song. A people filled with praise and creativity. I love your creativity. I love your praise. I love your posts. I love like what you're about. I love your kids. Right? I just, I love your videos. I just, I just love all of it. And I'm talking to all of you, okay? I just love it. Uh, a place referenced to our children is Theo's Church, which is funny because Theo's Church theologically stands up pretty good, okay? Where my kids uh, have friends, where the cave of prayer exists in the back, Right? I'm excited for whoever takes on that mantle to just keep making people cry every Sunday. That would be awesome. A, and Nicole and I were given a space to confirm our calling as prayer warriors, as servants of his people. Uh, personally, we are united with his family on mission here. Renewed in our strength, renewed as a family, and restored in our calling, restored to his voice. So I just want to say thank you, Third Street. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you. We've been talking about love lies and all the lies that uh, we uh, kind of go through. The church wants your money. The ministry is the pastor's job. Women are just women. We don't really have to go to church. And today we're doing I'm not good enough. Which is funny because as I thought about it, I thought, that's not really a lie. I'm really not good enough. But uh, we'll hash that out uh, here real quick. Uh, I thought about um, how we, to go about this, and I thought we have kind of this flow from the beginning of time of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so in order to maintain the mood of each section, I'm going to walk through that with you. Uh, and I'm going to throw lots of information at you, and I'm going to throw as much of my heart in it as I can. So in creation, as God creates you and me, um, we are creative, we are created, we are unique, we are individuals. You get all these uh, typologies out there now with the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs and the, you know, uh, for some of us who are in Giant Worldwide, you know, some of the five voices. There's all kinds of typologies. I'm introverted, I'm extroverted, I'm, you know what I mean? There's even like animals that they used to do in the 90s, like the lion and the dog and the otter and I just, you know, it's like too long ago, you know, the 90s are gone, you know, we're doing new ones now. So we're back to like the 1600s Enneagram, you know, so, uh, but I just, I, in our creativity, uh, you are, um, we are so individual, we're so different. And so uh, I just wanted to tell you uh, this lie, I am not good enough. Uh, as I was doing my research, it gets played out uh, and it's such a unique form for each one of you. If you're a perfectionist, uh, I am not good enough is simply, if you're, if you're one, if you're a perfectionist, uh, it gets played out to, I'm not good. I'm not good. That's how that seems to you. 
I'm not good enough. I'm not good at anything. I'm not good at what I do. I'm not good. That's how you believe that lie. I'm not good enough for a, for a giver helper. That number two would be, I am not loved. I'm not good enough. I am not loved. That would be the lie, how you would believe this lie. How you would believe this lie if you're like an overachiever, if you're one of them like, you know, people, people. Uh, I, see, I see you guys pointing at each other. I, you know, like if you're a people, peeper, overachiever, peeper, peeper, okay? Uh, three, okay. Then you say to yourself, I am not good enough. I am nothing. I am nothing. And, uh, and, and honestly, it's up to you to really like grab onto this stuff. I'm just gonna keep going. Uh, if you're like a unique, creative uh, like, like myself, I, I, I found myself in this camp. Uh, the way I believe this is I would say I'm not good enough. I am not enough. I'm not enough. The five would say, uh, you know, the, the thinker, observer would say, I'm not capable. I can't do it. Right? The, the, the loyalist, the devil's advocate, people in the room would say, believe this lie as uh, I don't belong. I'm not good enough. I don't belong. Those of you who are like the adventure optimists, you know, were hiking this morning and now you made it to church, you would believe this lie, I'm not good enough as I am empty. I'm not doing enough stuff. The boss, the leader, the eight, the intense man and woman in the room would say, I am too much. I am not good enough. I'm too much. I'm just too much. And then some of you peacemaker, uh, middle child, people in the room would say, I am not special. But the reality is that you, uh, in your creativity and how God created you, you are good and you are loved and you are so much and you are more than enough and you belong and you are one of the funnest people to be around and you are not too much. You're the right person at the right seat leading us where we are headed, where we are going and you are so special. Middle children, you are so special. <laughs> you are the warmest, lovingest, easiest people to bring along. And you tend to just connect with God in such an awesome way. But then as fall takes place, and as we go from being created and creation and being knit in our mother's womb and the creation story and Genesis and take it all from your creation to the creation to the fall to where we begin to experience uh, abuse and we begin to experience sin committed against us. We begin to enter into a season where we also begin to sin, where we begin to have separation. Sin being separation, separation being pain. Think of a baby. A baby separated from his mother, it has, it feels pain, it cries. For us, sin is separation, separation is pain. That really is what sin is, right? It's just pain. It's distance from God. That's what sin is. And so we begin to um, realize, we begin to believe this lie as we are sinned against, as we experience things that happen against us, as we begin to realize, and this happens in an early age, that um, the world doesn't revolve around us and we begin to experience life and um, a, a debt system kind of begins to take place in our life. And so I begin to realize, um, probably the easiest one is like, uh, a debt system would be like, um, all of the enemies of the heart and everything that's going on in your heart has to do with debt which means um, to my dad, if I didn't have a dad, I would say, hey, you owe me. I'm angry, 
because my dad is not here. You owe me, you owe me fatherhood. Or a friend owes me a debt or a friend borrowed my car and uh, crashed it and you owe me a car. You owe me my pencil, you owe me my pen. This is like petty, right? School every day, right? You owe me that homework assignment. You owe me your part of the homework assignment, right? You owe me a good husband. You owe me a good wife. You owe me doing the dishes. You owe me. And so we walk around uh, in this process of the fact that not only am I not good enough, but the world around me is not good enough. I begin to really, we begin to work in this, what, what uh, a book calls the enemies of the heart, where debt, debt is, uh, is taking place. And so, and I'll begin to tie all this together. It's going to be like, boom, and then I'm going to begin tying it together. And so I walk around angry. Some of us are walking around angry because I, I honestly, I'm not really even preaching a topic. I'm really just like trying to like lasso your heart in different ways. As, and I'm going to throw as many things as I can to just like grab your heart, grab your mind. Okay. So, so you walk around angry because somebody owes you something. Whether your father owes you something, your mother, your friend, your brother, your sister, life owes you something, you owe me. Anger says you owe me. But you know, the opposite for some of us is uh, some of us, you start to realize how much bad or so, how much wrong or how much crime or how much things you have done against each other, uh, against somebody else. And you, uh, you know, guilt begins to say, oh, I owe you. I owe you. I owe you an apology. But maybe it's like guilt says, I owe you, you know, money. I owe you time. I owe you space. I owe you. I, I, there's, a, there's a guilt that we carry around when we owe people something, when we owe the people in our life. And some of you have, have uh, uh, you, um, Renee Brown says that we shouldn't puff up and we shouldn't shrink. And when we're guilty, when we're guilty, we shrink. When we owe people, we shrink. And we weren't meant to live that way. Then we have uh, when I owe myself, and that's like greed. That's like the sneakiest of all. Greed says, I owe myself. And some of us are like, I've been watching my kids all day. I owe myself the opportunity to, to do this. You're like, I haven't gone without looking at this for like two weeks. I owe myself. The time has come. You know what I mean? I owe myself. Greed says, um, I should um, be uh, shopping for, I don't know if this ever happens to you. I'm like shopping for Christmas. And you're like, but, but I've worked so hard this year. I owe myself. And you just buy a bunch of stuff for yourself. And you don't buy anything for anybody else that you were supposed to buy for. Right? Greed kind of sneaks up on us that way during the Christmas time. But greed, greed says, I owe myself. It's a problem between you and yourself. It's an enemy of the heart. Where greed says, I owe myself. But the one that applies to today, I'm not good enough, is when I am here by myself. And one of the craziest things is when we go, God owes me. When I feel like I'm not good enough, it's easy to be jealous. Jealousy says, God owes me. Because I might be looking at someone's car and be like envious, jealous. And it's not that person's problem that they can afford that car, that somebody gave them that car, that their parents are fleecing it for them. You know what I mean? That their parents are like have enough money to give it to them or that they made enough money. It's not about them. It's about me and God and me going, God, God, you owe me. Look how hard I've worked. Look how hard I'm trying. Look how creative I am. Look how much I've done. Look how good I behave. And yet, I don't have that stuff. We, it's a problem between me and God when 
I'm not good enough and I'm beginning to compare myself to the people in my life. Comparison is violence against ourself. When you compare your body against someone else's, it's violence against yourself. When you compare your gifts, your spiritual gifts, your, your spirituality against someone else, it's violence against yourself emotionally. Because we were not meant to compare ourselves. I mean, look at us. We are so unique, we are so different. We come from so many different spaces and places and parents and people, locations, opportunities. There's just no possible way to compare, a fairly compare. It just ends up being violence against ourselves. And how many of us compare every day? And so it's easy to believe I'm not good enough. I may have mentioned it last time that we were in this space, but like I'll work out and I mean, I feel like pumped. I feel good. And if I get on Instagram, I don't feel good anymore. <laughs> it's rough, right? I don't need to compare. You know, I, I can run real far. I mean, far. I get on Instagram, people are like, just finish, finish the 200 miler. T Tahoe, 200. And I'm like, 200 miles. It's very hard. It's very difficult. We, we, uh, we um, beautifully curate our children for Sunday morning. Sometimes. Every once in a while. Once a quarter. At Christmas time, actually. Only Christmas time. And then we get on Instagram and somebody's doing it every day. And their lunches are packed perfectly with like these whole grain muffins <laughs> that they bake from scratch at 5 a.m. that day. And they, those kids don't know what McDonald's chicken nuggets taste like. And they're missing out. They're missing out. Nicole and I had eight people in our wedding each. We show up to this wedding on Friday, 12. 12 bridesmaids, 12 groomsmen. I was like, man, the world wins. <laughs> That's what happens when we compare though. We just, we do violence, violence against ourselves. And we begin to believe that it's, it's not good enough. At first, it's like, they're not good enough. This is not good enough. And we like rail against everything in our life. My job is not good enough. My car is not good enough. But eventually, that creeps into your own life. And all of a sudden, it's like, dang, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And here you are trying to prove that you're good enough. And here you are trying to hide that you're not good enough. And here you are afraid to be found out that you are a fraud and that you might lose everything because you believe this lie so much that I am not good enough. It's heavy. Well, I'm here to tell you that you're not good enough. <laughs> Let me tell you, let me tell you what you are not, why you are not good enough. I know, it's like we were here, now we're about to be like, woo. Right? You are not good enough 
because you are self-reliant. You are not good enough because you are taking care of yourself. Better yet, you are taking care of number one. You are not good enough because you are comparing yourself to others. I already talked about that. You are not good enough because you believe that your past is your identity. You believe that you are, you are not good enough because you have let the abuse you experience to permeate your heart and your mind. Let me tell you a different way. You believe that the abuse that you experienced, that you deserved it. You are not good enough because you believe that you are not doing enough. You are not good enough because you can't admit that you're wrong. You are not good enough because you believe that vulnerability is weakness. You are not good enough because you don't know when to let go. This is the one that got me this morning. You are not good enough because you, we don't know when to hold on. You are not good enough because you are looking for affirmation from the wrong people. I'm telling you, you're not good enough. It's not a happy moment, guys. So, with that said, let's open our Bibles. <laughs> let's go uh, to Matthew 15. Um, Jesus doesn't do anything to help the tension. Let me tell you what happens here. Uh, uh, before this happens, before we get to the scripture, don't even look at that on the screen. I said, don't look at it. You guys are like, oh. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus's cousin just got beheaded as this is happening. John the Baptist has been beheaded and when Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Jesus is trying to get away from the masses. The crowds follow. Jesus has compassion and heals them because in that time people are following because they're hungry because they don't have anything else. And Jesus is like, has compassion on the crowd. But Jesus is mourning. His cousin just died. To say the least, Jesus is a little irritable. Just a little. And he's hurting. And he's trying to get away from people. And he gets away from the people. And when he, when he gets to the other side to a remote place, they're sitting there waiting for him. And Jesus is like, he's not like, ugh. He's like, man, these are my people. Look at the, uh, the gumption, the grit, the capacity of this leader, Okay. And he has compassion on them and he heals them. The evening time rolls around. It's dinner time. The disciples, and I'll hear this, okay, the disciples say, send the crowds away so they can get something to eat. Okay? And Jesus, just imagine that Jesus is taller than the disciples. He's like, Pff. he knows that they don't have any money, that they followed him because they're hungry. People are following Jesus because they know that he can possibly feed them, that he is capable of giving something at this event or mountainside gathering. But they're like, hey, send the crowds away. 
And Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus has the disciples go, and he's like, I'm gonna dismiss the crowd. Why don't you go ahead in the boat? Because they did a bad job at like covertly showing up somewhere so he could just warn and take a moment. He's like, why don't you, why don't you jump in the boat? Creating kind of dissonance, because if you think about it, the, the disciples and are leaving with the boat, and so the crowds, they can't all see Jesus in this moment. And so there's kind of like a, where's Jesus? Jesus is dismissing people. The disciples are leaving on the boat. And finally, when he dismisses, dismisses everyone, Jesus has a moment to go up on the mountain and mourn his cousin's death. He prays. He goes up by himself and he prays. And I imagine, guys, that this prayer with Jesus is similar to moments that we need with God. Where we need to get in there and we need to worship and we need to pray and we need to cry. And we need to worship some more and we need to cry. And we need to worship some more and then we need to cry. Like ugly cry. And you can read some word and find some comfort in there and try not to give it away by text message while you are receiving it because sometimes God just wants you to keep the word to yourself for a little. Every time you open it, you're like, oh, this is for my friend. And he's like, no, this is for you. Just sit on it. You can give it away later. And we cry and we pray and we cry and we pray. I'm not asking you to do this in front of everyone if you don't want to. But I'm definitely saying you should make a space to cry and mourn with the Lord and hurt with him on your own. Jesus walks on water. He catches up with the people. So does Peter. He walks on water. He walks to Jesus. Jesus catches Peter. He pulls him up. Then they get to the edge. Okay, so this is all the same like day, okay? They get to the edge and the Pharisee, when they get to the edge and Jesus has, you know, done a bunch of stuff already, the Pharisees have traveled 60 miles from Jerusalem to question Jesus. It's a long trip. They came here specifically to question Jesus. And Jesus, after a little scuff, goes, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And then he quotes Isaiah like off the cuff. And he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus goes in and he goes straight to the heart. Later on, he goes on, on to say something like, but the things that he says, what goes into the, someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. He says, it is not, you are not not good because of what comes in your mouth. You are not good because of something that comes out, what you are saying. And then later on, he goes, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them, right? And so that's why I started to work with the idea of like enemies of the heart, that when you're angry, they owe me. When you're guilty, I owe you. When you're greedy, you owe yourself. And when you're jealous, it's the God owes you and beginning to define these enemies of the heart because we're speaking from that. 
We always talk from that. The things that we say, we, the things that we talk about, the ways that we gossip, the ways that we slander, the ways that we opinionate, the ways that we write, the ways that we create, the ways that we write songs, the ways that we talk to people, the ways that we talk at the dinner table, the things that we think about and then talk about, these are the things that defile us. This is, this is the I'm not good enough moment is the stuff that we're saying. What you're saying matters so much. More than the rules, more than what you've done, more than what's been done against you, more than the things that you needed that you didn't get, the moments that you were rejected, neglected, or abused, abused physically or emotionally or relationally or sexually, more than those things that you did against someone else or the things that were done against you are the things that you say. Jesus flips it and he says, Isaiah was right. You guys are hypocrites. Don't know what you're talking about. You're just talking about rules. And now we get to the scripture. <laughs> we're going to be here all day. No, we're not. Here we go. And so this, this back and forth is over. That's the setup. So leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. She says, Lord, son of David. She gets all like Jewish on him. She gets all like traditional. She's like, Rabbi, Lord, son of David, you are of that line. To which Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Religious talk, more religious talk. And I mean, Jesus has had it. He just lost his cousin. He just fed a bunch of people. He had compassion on them. There's a lot of love there. There's a lot of capacity there. But Jesus just got done scuffing. Okay, he just got done like in this like analytical, emotional, spiritual, like dojo. And he just won, okay? And now this woman is coming at him with the uh, Lord, son of David, which is good, right? She at least starts from a good place. Jesus does not answer a word. This woman's daughter is demon-possessed, and she's asking Jesus for help. Jesus doesn't say anything. Anything. I told you he doesn't help. The tension. Okay? She is not Jewish. She does not belong to the tribe, you know what I mean, to the Jewish people, to the God's chosen people. She doesn't belong. We're about to see this happen. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. Does that sound familiar? Send her away. It's the second time in the last chapter that the disciples are like, shoo, shoo, chicken scratch the dirt. You know what I mean? Like, like there's, just, there's just this essence. I know the parents, if you haven't read chicken scratch the dirt, it's the best. Okay? But they're like, they're just like, go away. Tell her to go away. And, and the disciples once again are like, they're oblivious. Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, and this is harsh, guys. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Loud enough that she can hear it. I am not calling Jesus a jerk, but this is a, like a tough move here, okay? This is like a, like a harsh move. Okay. 
the woman came and knelt before him. And now she says, Lord, second time, Lord, help me. No Lord, son of David, just Lord. Lord, help me. And then he goes in again, he goes, he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She is, she is kneeling. She is kneeling. Okay? And Jesus, this, is, this hurts my heart. And Jesus is standing pretty much over her at this point. And he says, it is not right to take the bread of the children of Israel and give it to the dogs. She is kneeling. Look at the physical position and the tension of this moment. Right? At this point, I'm not good enough applies perfectly here. Perfectly. And she says, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She says, Lord, Lord, Lord. And then she says, Master, Master. That changes everything. That takes the exclusivity of the Jewish people and it makes it available to all of us. The moment she says, master. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted and her daughter was healed in that moment. Let me tell you why Jesus is not a hero. Let me tell you why we don't use hero language for Jesus. A hero is only a hero to his own side of the war. Captain America, America's hero. The Hulk, Avengers hero. Pancho Villa, could have been Mexico's hero. Okay. What's his name? I grew up in the South, so I, I'm going I'm to go past that. But a hero, a hero is only a hero to his side of the war. And Jesus is not a hero. Jesus comes into a Jewish atmosphere, and he is a savior to all. But you know the difference for us? is that we've been calling him Lord for a long time. But we have not called him Master yet. We have worshipped, and we have cried, and we are courting Jesus, and we're excited to date Jesus, but we have not decided to marry Jesus and be in it in covenant with Jesus, and in doing so as his bride, let Jesus be the Master of us because he is our Savior. I'm not talking about some social like thing between women and men right now. I'm talking about Jesus as the bridegroom. I'm talking about Jesus as the savior, about Jesus who doesn't just come for the people of Israel, but be Jesus who comes for all of us. 
and that the key point here is master. Woman, you have great faith. I was talking to Corey this week and I thought, you know what? Going forward, we are going to define spiritual formation as giving sons and daughters the opportunity where only faith will do. Opportunities where we're going to have to believe in order to get there. Opportunities where only God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. To put ourselves in positions as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and friends and brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, where only God can orchestrate and do for you what you can't do for, your, for yourself. That, that you, when you run out of your capacity, when you run out of your ability, that God is there going, am I your master or not? Have you surrendered to me or not? Will you give your life and will over to my care? Will you give your desires over to me? That what I desire and what I think about and what I go for and my hopes and my dreams are this continuous willingness to submit myself to the master. Jesus is Lord, but is he your master? The redemption of Jesus in this is that he, this is not where the story ends, but that Jesus is master because he lives this moment out. He lives many moments out and then he dies on the cross and then he is resurrected. This is the redemption of man. He is saying, even when you die, even when you in your sin are dying, because of the resurrection, I bring life to something that was dead. I bring life to a dead marriage. I bring life to a dead job. I bring life to a dead relationship. I bring life to a dead church. I bring life into a dead calling. I bring life into the pieces of your life that when you came to Jesus, you for some reason, because of those rules and the hypocrisy, you let go of those parts of your life. But some of you are really intensely party people that you're supposed to be partying in the kingdom. I don't know if you're going to take that the wrong way, but some of you are incredibly creative and you've put that to, 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 to death. Some of you are incredibly leader-oriented and because of your pride in the business sector or your pride in school, you've put that to death and God's like, no, I, wanna, I wasn't trying to kill your personality. I want to bring back things about you that were dead that should be back to life. Parts of you that should be being used in the kingdom of heaven. Parts of you that he desires to see come alive again that you would be known and that you would be seen and that you would be heard. He brings in, uh, restoration, he brings resurrection into every area of our life, practicing resurrection. As I've told you two, three times ago that I was up here, practicing resurrection is our everything, that God can resurrect pieces and parts of our life. For some of you, he needs to resurrect your sexuality because that was deemed bad. And now he, goes, he wants to resurrect that part of you. I'm not talking to all of you. I'm talking to some of you. I'm talking to maybe a couple of you, okay? It's not for everyone. But he's like resurrecting pieces like that. Because when he redeems, then he resurrects. Like, like that's, a, that's, a, that's a work that he's doing in your life. Your voice. 
your leadership, your love, your nurturing, your wild. That's all the Lord's. He wants all that to come back. Jesus, Jesus is alive. And in the restoration process, as he says, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I was thinking about what we can begin to do. And the verse that came, this gentle verse, like right, the, the, the sheep hear their master's voice and they follow him. If we deem him master, and if you decide that, hey, what does it look like to go from Jesus being Lord to Jesus being master? What does that look like? I would say it looks like beginning to hear his voice. It looks like deciding to get direction from him. To posture yourself in a position where you say, uh, God, not used to doing this. Um, what do you have for me? What do you have for me today? And to let him, let him give you thoughts, to let him give you creativity, to let him give you feelings, emotions, right? He, some of us are real analytical. Some of us are real heart-oriented. For some of you heart-oriented people, I think he wants to give you new emotions. I think he wants to give you a new emotion for a new season, for the summertime. Maybe he wants to bring joy back. Maybe he wants to bring rest back. Maybe he wants to bring grit back, right? He's like, I'm, I'm trying to give you and feel for you to feel like grit right now because you've got a long way to go. You've come a long way. I'm just trying to get you to feel rest and joy right now, right? He's trying to give you feelings. He's trying to give you something. Some of you, he's trying to give you an idea. He's trying to give you a direction. It's a word. It's a verse. It's an image, but the Lord is trying to say something to you. And that is us posturing ourselves. That's us posturing ourselves at the master's feet going, only you can. I can't. Help me. Master. Right? A master masters his shop. A master uh, knows best. Right? Whatever field you're in, a master in your field is incredible. Incredible. 10,000 hours, right? A master. Jesus is more than that. Right? Everything was created through him, by him. Everything was created in the beginning with him. Right? Jesus is our master and we're posturing ourselves and we're going, Jesus, you can't. You. But this is a position of surrender. I'm finishing here. This is a position of surrender. This is a position of reliance, right? You guys have so much capacity. Like, honestly, I know you. I know you. I know you. You have so much capacity. You are so able. You have so many resources. Some of you are loaded, right? Like, like you have, you are so reliant, self-reliant, and the Lord's like, but if you would take everything you have and realize that I can do so much more if you give me all of you, all of your heart. I was thinking about this idea of like, because this is faith. This is faith right here, guys. This is, this is spiritual formation. This is it. It's not a book or a textbook or a 
something else here, buy for $22.99, right? Like, it's like right here. This is spiritual formation. And the only part that we have, the only power that we have is um, I'm either going to take this seed of faith and I'm going to put it into the ground or I'm not. That's the, only, that's the only power you can exercise in this whole equation with God. I'm either going to take my faith and I'm going to plant it in the ground and I'm going to watch that thing grow for the next, that, you know, acorn grow over the next hundred years or I'm not. I'm, I'm going to either, I'm, this is the only power that I have. And after that, once I decide that I'm going to put it in the ground, then I'm just here. It's, it's out of my control. So my, my encouragement to you, my, my plea to you this morning, my, my example to you, you know, just even just in the physical posture of it is you have an opportunity to leverage the little bit that you have and say, God, it's yours. What do you have for me this morning? What do you have for my life? What do you want I will give you everything. And in so doing, you realize that you are not good enough. But because of Jesus, he is good enough for all of us. Jesus is good enough. Jesus is good enough. Jesus is worth our faith. Jesus is worth our desire. He is worth our passion. Jesus is worth it all. And if we decide to make him master, and if we decide to believe, I think he'll look at us and say, you are a person of great faith. It is as you desire.